One of the YouTube channels I watch with some regularity is called Cinema Sins. The videos show clips from often beloved movies, while the host enumerates sins the film has committed. These sins range from problems with the internal logic of the story to questionable filmmaking choices. And one of the channel's most frequent complaints is when movies use voiceover narration to set the scene or to provide story exposition. As far as I can tell, this objection to narration is rooted in the filmmaking principle of show, don't tell. The idea is it is more compelling when members of the audience learn about a character's background from their words and actions rather than being informed by an omniscient narrator. There are, however, limited exceptions to this rule, including one of my favorite movies, The Shawshank Redemption in which Morgan Freeman's voice is an almost constant presence in the movie. The reason that Shawshank gets a pass is because in that film, the narration is more than a way of merely conveying information. It is, in fact, a character in itself, an integral part of the story. Now, at first glance, it would seem that CinemaSins might have issues with this morning's gospel reading, in which God's voice appears to function as a narrative device. After Jesus is baptized, the heavens are torn apart, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and a voice from heaven proclaims this, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. It would seem that God's voice is merely confirming what has already been revealed in the moment of Jesus' baptism. But it is important for us to remember that in the biblical witness, God's voice has creative and redemptive power. In the first verses of Genesis, for instance, it is God's voice it is God's let there be that brings order out of chaos. Our faith tells us that God quite literally speaks creation into existence. Perhaps nothing illustrates the dynamic power of God's voice better than this morning's psalm. The voice of the Lord is a powerful voice. The voice of the Lord makes the oak trees writhe and strips the forests bare. In Scripture, in other words, the voice of God does more than offer commentary on events. God's voice matters for our understanding of who God is. Indeed, it is God's voice God's words that reveal God's purpose to the world. 
And so God's words at the baptism of Jesus are about more than confirming what we already suspected from the other narrative details in the text. God's words reveal that God is at work in this moment when Jesus encounters John at the River Jordan. More specifically, God's words in this moment reveal that Jesus, Jesus is the embodiment of God's voice. The Word made flesh. The one who reveals God's purpose and incarnates God's redemptive love with his very being. And the purpose, the purpose that Jesus reveals in his life and ministry is to free humanity from the power of sin and death. Now, you've heard me say this before, but it bears repeating. Sin is about more than ethical lapses or moral failure. And despite what the good people of cinema sins might say, it also has very little to do with errors in movie making. Rather, sin is the deeply ingrained human tendency to deny the image of God in ourselves and others. The central task of Jesus' ministry, in other words, is liberating us to reclaim this fundamental identity, to acknowledge that no matter what we or anyone else tries to tell us, we are bearers of God's image. And since we are created in the image of the God whose voice splits the flames of fire and shakes the wilderness, we must acknowledge that our voice and the way we use it matters. Indeed, part of how we claim and nurture our identity as bearers of God's image is to be thoughtful and careful about how we use our voice. We are called to exercise this care, not just to avoid offending the people around us, but because the words we use have power. This past Wednesday, a mob of aggrieved demonstrators, egged on by half-truths and outright lies, attacked the U.S. Capitol, the citadel of American democracy, leaving death, destruction, and mayhem in their wake. It was a shocking and a sobering moment. While I can't say this with certainty, it seems to me that there have not been many times in our nation's history 
when the future of the American experiment has felt more tenuous. In the wake of Wednesday's events, many people have professed hope that they were a historical anomaly, that the cause of the chaos can and will be identified and removed, returning us to a place where our politics feels a little less toxic, a little less apocalyptic. Others have suggested that the problem is more endemic, that the violence in the capital is rooted in the fact that there are so many who feel like their voices have not been heard. But I'd venture that the source of this week's chaos is part of a wider cultural malaise. Part of the reason for the siege on the Capitol building is the fact that so many of us have forgotten that our words have power. Over the past several decades, our culture has entered a time when words have been divorced from their meaning. We use slogans, buzzwords, and jargon as a substitute for saying anything of real consequence. A phenomenon one philosopher referred to as language on a holiday. This has always been true to an extent. The catchphrase veni vidi vici comes to mind. But the rise of instant communication has made creating a memorable catchphrase more important than articulating a complex idea. And the longer this has gone on, the more willing we have been to neglect the relationship between what we say and the way people respond to them. This puts us in a decidedly strange place. One in which public figures express surprise when people take the things they say seriously. Social media has accelerated this trend, allowing us to divorce what we say from who we are, to forget that our voice is an integral part of the way we experience the world to imagine that those words on a screen have nothing to do with the people typing them. We exist in a space where no one can be sure whether anyone means what they say. A space in which people cynically say things they know not to be true to serve their personal ambition. A space in which people either don't realize or don't care that their words can lead to violence. In times such as these, we are left to ask ourselves how to respond as people of faith. 
Do we sadly and resignedly shake our heads? Do we join the chorus of recrimination and blame? As logical and as satisfying as these responses can feel, they are ultimately rooted in our impulse as human beings to narrate events rather than acknowledge that whether we like it or not, we are participants in those events. Faithful living requires us to recognize that standing on the sidelines is simply not an option in moments like these. What we do, and just as importantly, what we say makes a profound difference in the world around us. What then are we to do? What are we to say? Or as our presiding bishop, quoting Lincoln's second inaugural address, put it earlier this week, who shall we be? In times like these, our call as Christians is to remember who we are by seeking and nurturing community. Now this is about more than finding people who make us feel good and distract us from the cares of the world, as important as that can be. Nurturing a faithful community is about finding a context in which we can be truly present to one another, in which we can recognize how we influence the people around us. Being part of a community means that we must behave with the understanding that we are responsible to one another and that we must be accountable to one another. This requires us to acknowledge those who feel as though they haven't been heard. But it also demands that we seek out those who are genuinely voiceless. Those who genuinely have been silenced. Most importantly, a truly faithful community the one to which we are all called as the church, is one whose members make a rigorous and ironclad commitment to saying what we mean and meaning what we say. Your voice matters. Truth matters. As persons created in God's image, your responsibility is to act accordingly.